Hi, I'm Jimmy Blett, and welcome to Episode 3 of Inside Imigo. We are recording on the unceded First Nation and Indigenous lands of Dujoge as uninvited guests of the Ganyagahaga, here on Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. Imigo Theatre is privileged and grateful to live and work on these lands, and Imigo is committed to connecting and working with First Nation and Indigenous artists and arts workers to make space for their stories in order to create a greater understanding of what living here now really means. Today I'm speaking with Gabrielle Chapdelaine and David Gagnon-Walker, the playwright and translator of The Retreat. The Retreat is having its world premiere with Imigo Theatre at Bain Mathieu this November. This absurd, funny, and provocative Montreal play features a community of people who have chosen to leave the world, shed all layers of their identity, and responsibility in order to find mental wellness. When a new person arrives with their cell phone, chaos ensues. Chapdelaine is a playwright, screenwriter, and translator. She's participated in several theatrical projects in Quebec, Martinique, France, and Germany. Her play, Une Journée, won her the Gratien Gelena Prize, and she is a finalist for the Prix Marcel Dubé. Her plays have been presented in both French and English in Canada and the United States. She also writes for television and film and translates plays from English to French. She studied playwriting at the National Theatre School of Canada. She lives in Montreal. Gagnon Walker is a writer, performer, and translator from Treaty 6 territory. His work has been performed and developed in Sweden, Finland, France, Australia, the USA, and coast-to-coast across Canada. He was awarded the Playwrights Guild of Canada Tom Hendry Emerging Playwright Award, the NTS Ada Slate Award, and first place in the Wildfire Playwriting Competition. He was an emerging artist-in-residence with 2B Theatre Company and a Cole Foundation Emerging Translator with Playwrights Workshop Montreal. David's interactive solo, This is the Story of the Child Ruled by Fear, has been touring Canada and will be presented by Workshop West Playwrights Theatre. He has taught experimental theatre workshops across the country, often with composer and multimedia designer Tori Morrison, with whom he produces projects as Strange Victory Performance. I have had the pleasure of workshopping the first translation version of The Retreat. I can tell you, it was a blast. So, gang, you're here. We're here. You're here. We're here. (laughs) It's really cool to have you uh, here, but also to be in a room with you both again. Sure, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because it's been a little bit. Um, I was a part of the workshop for the English version of this play, which is called The Retreat. You were. Uh, How long ago was that now? That was, I think, November of 2019. I'm kind of guessing, but it was definitely, it was the fall before everything stopped. I remember that. Okay. Because it was the last time I had come to Montreal before I had to stay in my house for two years. That's right. (laughs) Have you been back um, in town since? I came to see some FTA shows this summer. Okay. So this is kind of my second trip back post-lockdown world. Okay. Which is great. I love getting back here as often as I can. Yeah. 
I mean, and then it's probably cool to also revisit something that you worked on mm-hmm. after like a certain amount of years. I just want to talk about the play. I think the best way to describe it is like one of the coolest plays I've ever had the opportunity <laughs> to read or be a part of. But I want, I just want, <laughs> I just want to talk about the the inspiration behind it because we we in the workshop we didn't really get to chat about that too that's much that's true yeah because it was very very translation oriented which was great you mm-hmm. know um and yeah so i was uh, at nts when i wrote it i studied like in playwright but in french sex- section i decided i wanted to do two plays that year because i was alone in my year and i was like oh i'm gonna just you know make every one of my friend actors play <laughs> who studied at school. And so it was very overwhelming and I got very depressed and really like uh, dark with myself and wanted to find a way to escape myself from myself, which which was very weird and was really dreaming of a place where I could just go and not have any goal and not have any identity to so that that was really like kind of the emotional impulse. And after I kind of mapped this place, then I find ways to make it live uh, and to incorporate, you know, characters that are archetypals too, mm-hmm. you know. But there are – the characters are attributed in archetype, but that's not very them. So that's kind of about identity too, I guess. And yesterday we, we had a, a read through and I haven't heard the play, I think, since the workshop. And I uh, and I did not read it before too. So oh, cool. it was very cool to listen to it again and just to to hear it. So it's in many ways it's like a form of escapism that turned into a piece of art for you. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was very into like nihilistic humor <laughs> at that time. <laughs> so there's a lot of it in it too. And it's kind of it's it came from a very dark place, but I'm the type of person once again my therapist told me like, Oh, it's funny how you always start every dark stories with it's funny before. Oh, it's funny the other day, blah 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 and super dark. <laughs> and so the the, the play's kinda like that too. It's very funny, but it's very like oh, so you said you were into nihilistic humor then. Yeah. Has that changed? Well, yes. I'm. I, that really changed, but I had a child since. Mm. So, like, I feel that nihilism and bringing a child in the world <laughs> is maybe not, like, <laughs> the best cohabitation, I guess. So, yeah, I'm a bit less um, nihilistic, but still I really related yesterday when we were reading to a lot of the emotional parts, Yeah. And how about you, David? Any children uh, since the workshop? No, no children <laughs> since the workshop. <laughs> so, so is the uh, connection to nihilism still there for you? I think so. I mean, I think I feel the pull towards nihilism probably every day in my life. And, I, and yeah. I think that's kind of like maybe without having a child, I can still say that I that pull isn't always necessarily healthy, but I definitely feel it. And I think part of part of the struggle of moving through life when things especially lately can seem so intense in the world is like finding your own reasons not to give in to that temptation to just throw your hands in the air and say well nothing matters fuck it i I totally get that i i I totally get that backing up just a little bit and going back to the origins of the translation Mm -hmm. was that like a prompt by you a decision by you 
where you approach? How did that work out? Yeah, so I so I saw the production that they did at the school in was that twenty seventeen. Um, 2018. Yeah. yeah, which was I. It was my first year at NTS, and it was Gabriel's third year. And I saw this play, and I think if it felt to me like a play that I wrote in this very exciting way. Like I felt, I think I have a really similar sense of sensibility in terms of a lot of my writing tends to be like sort of surreal, humorous plays about dark mental states. That's kind of like the David Walker House style. <laughs> um, so. So I saw this piece, and and I had been thinking about translating for a while now. I think I think a lot of bilingual writers sort of are always thinking, "Wow, one day it would be great to start translating." It's like this thing that's always hanging there that you feel like you could try to do. So I got it into my head that it would be great to translate this piece. And then Playwrights Workshop Montreal has a program called the Cole Foundation Translation Mentorship, where every year one person is selected to work with Marine Labonte as a translation mentor on a new play by a living playwright and so I saw the call for that and already I had been thinking wow I would love to talk to Gabrielle about maybe one day transiting this play but then this just seemed like a great opportunity to do that so I applied to that program and and was selected and then I spent the next year working with Maureen on the translation which was a great experience and then that program ended with the the workshop that you were part of Jimmy right okay so then fast forward four years later Mm-hmm. And now we are. You get a call from from Krista Jackson. Yeah. Um, saying, an email. An email. Yeah. Pre Christmas email. It was yeah. like mid December, I think. And what did it say? It said, "Ah, oh, we would like. Uh, I'm the new artistic director of Imago, and we would like to produce our show as the opening of our next season." Essentially. Yeah. That's what it, it said. That's what it said. Very I, simply. Very like. It was a very short email, but it was it, to me. I found it very surprising because, as yeah. as a playwright, maybe <laughs> maybe for Gabrielle this happens more because she's wonderful. But for me, this never happens that somebody just an art a new artistic director picks a play up off a pile of plays that somebody no. left in her office and in a folder in a folder and then emails you about producing it. It was really I, it was a really wonderful surprise. Um, so I, after we did that workshop with Playwrights Workshop, I had sent the script to Micheline Chevrier, who was running Imago pre-Krista. Um, and then I guess she had put it in a folder called Plays Under Consideration in Krista's office. And then Krista showed up and, from what I understand, literally picked it out of a pile without ever having met either of us and decided she wanted to do it, which is a... I took that as a really great sign because, to me, it felt like she must have really connected to the play. She must really like it. Because in my experience, ADs don't really do this that often. No. Just no. cold email somebody about, I want to do your play. I yeah, can yeah. tell you from my experience as an AD, <laughs> I have only considered doing that a couple of times. And in those cases, it's because I really, really like the piece. I mean, she had nothing else to go on. She didn't know either of you. So there no. was no any sort of relationship or nepotism or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really just based on on the play. Yeah. Which I think is a really good sign. Yeah, yeah and I didn't even know that you sent it. Oh, really? No, yeah. So oh. for me, it was like a gift, you know? You know, you never know the life of a play, where it's going to go, and that's what's fun about writing theater is that, you know, it can, it can go. It's not like writing a... A movie, and then like once the script is done, it's it disappears. So, 
No, it was a very happy moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for that's sure. For sure. And in Montreal, that's very nice too. Like for me, I'm living in Montreal. I'm writing in French and to, you know, and to work in with people who speak English on the Anglophone, like theater scene is so cool because it's quite different from what I saw yesterday. Not different, different, but it's just like, just, you know, the um, les répétitions that are, you know, full-time, right before. Like, in French, it's like, you have three months, but four-hour Monday, three hours. It's like, and it's, you know. Well, for the record, I think every anybody who's ever worked uh, doing rehearsals in, in the French <laughs> way and the English way, much prefer the French way. Oh, real? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, there's oh, really? an entire country that's trying to get... Um, rehearsals to be similar. Yeah, well, well, because it gives, I guess it gives, like, the actors the opportunity to work on other stuff at the same time. But also, like, yeah. I, I, you know, I've, I've done projects on both sides, and, and whenever I share the English way of rehearsing with French artists that I haven't worked with before, they're dumbfounded. They're like, what do you mean you work six <laughs> days a week? What do you mean you work eight hours a day? Like that, because at a certain point, there's diminishing returns, Anyway, yeah. All this to be said. Yeah. I think, yeah. Okay. I think no. No. Yeah. There's a lot I don't know, like about that situation. But when I saw like the rehearsing schedule, I was like, oh wow, how you know simple, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> how how straightforward. Yeah. And I I don't know. I feel it's great. There's kind of this crockpot feeling, of like I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe a crockpot isn't always the best. Well, it, it is. It's definitely like a pressure cooker. Yeah, sure. That's what. Like yeah. it's, it's so intense. Yeah. And rehearsal periods are so short too. Yeah. Like that to me, the the idea of three weeks of rehearsals is so little time. Right. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, it's true that the time to like let things um, se dépose. Yeah. Going back to like the opportunity <laughs> to for you to receive a, a an email from an, an AD without having met them. Uh, I think it's super interesting because that means certain things probably resonated from the text. In a similar way that things resonated for you, David, when you saw the play for the mm-hmm. first time. So I'd just like to pick your brain a little bit, the both of you, as to like what types of things. Because we, you know, we touched on nihilism. But what types of things do you think in terms of themes of the play that would resonate with you, mm-hmm. but also with other folks that watch this? So the retreat is this place. It's this strange kind of mysterious place where all these people end up. Um, and, and one of the characters says about that place, you're very lucky to be here. So many people want to leave the world, but nobody wants to die. That's what this place is, is a place where you can leave the horrible, difficult world without having to die. To me, that's one of the most important lines of the play. I remember hearing that line when I first saw the production and going, wow. That's, I want to go there. Like, that's the place where I would like to go. We all need a break. And I feel like that, I think many people walk around every day feeling that way. Like, man, I don't, it's not that I want to be dead, but I don't want to be here. I don't feel good. In a way, that's such a simple feeling. But what I love about this place so much is I think it's it's like a really deep, really surprising, really funny look at that feeling that takes you to all these really unpredictable places. But I just find it, at its core, I find it very, very true and very relatable. And I think it it resonates with something that I am dealing with every day and that I find kind of hard to deal with sometimes, this feeling of like, oh, wouldn't it be great to just like snap my fingers and 
not be around. But yeah, you know, you say all that and then you have to go. But it's also a very funny play because it is. Like it's so <laughs> it's it's so joyful and it's so which is it, it's another thing I love about it I think is that it's like I really love plays and and works of art that can sort of turn a dark thing into a joyful thing through the through the experience of a bunch of people reflecting on it together and finding support and commonality in that. Um, and I think this play does that really, really beautifully. What you just mentioned, you know, paraphrasing that that sentence or line from the play, is probably, in my mind, uh, one of the clearest forms of accessibility and relatability that a story can have mm. um, in today's world. Mm -hmm. Like we we talk about wanting to tell stories where people can see themselves on stage or you know where where they can picture themselves in that universe and when you talk about wanting to escape right now we're looking at a at a crumbling society um and i think i think that's for a very clear reason is that most people are just fed up with everything mm -hmm. um and it isn't wanting to step away from the game they don't it's not like they don't want to play the game anymore they just want to play a different character or be in a different world. And so to me, just in hearing you say that, it tells me that should resonate with most people. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Well, I know that it does with me, which is kind of all you really ever have to go on when you're making stuff. Is like, oh, well, I know, I know what this is doing to me when I work on it and when I experience it. And I, I think I trust that feeling. I trust that, that I'm not, at least I hope that I'm not the only person walking around feeling weird and vaguely horrible many days of my life i think that's a shared feeling if not please help me even as a parent i too am a parent but i still have similar feelings of course. it lives in a different space sure. in my life. but how about you how does that reflect in, in your current life i've kind of started liking my life which I think is kind of radical for me. <laughs> I'm kind of, and, and you know, I don't want to attribute everything to my baby. It's, she's like 10 months, so she's very, very little. But she woke up in the morning and she's like happy. And so the first thing I do in the morning is like smile at a baby. Mm. So, you know, that feeling of... Uh, Anger, no, the anger is still there. No, the anger is more there. It went from passive to active for me, I guess. I was very passively hating everything, you know, a bit cynical maybe. But now I'm angry, you know? So maybe it, it activated me in a way right now. It's funny because <laughs> the passive you wrote a play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing to think of when you, when you have a another human life to sure to incorporate yeah. into it into yeah and um, i don't know not that you became an example because i think we shouldn't hold people to that standard but you're observed in a different way now yeah. better, better you want it or not so try to do like an okay okay things you know let's talk a little bit about your relationship together i imagine that during the translation process you're in contact quite frequently yeah, I would say so. You know, it's funny, like, to be to be perfectly honest about it, I think we probably had less, like, back-and-forth, nitty-gritty kind of questions than often come up between 
a translator and a playwright, which I think a lot of it is to do with just how good of a fit this collaboration <laughs> was in the first yeah. in the first place. Like I think we were definitely talking and we had a few conversations as I was working, but it always just felt like there was like this mind meld where like from like really early drafts of like scenes that I was starting to work on, it just felt like the tone that I write with in English anyway felt so close to the tone of Gabriel's writing. Stuff that I think is funny in English and like ways that I think are funny to write funny things in English, it was like the jokes work that way in this play in French. So it felt, (laughs) for sure we became better friends through the process of doing this. And there was like, I think when when the starting point of your relationship is already like oh man our brains work the same way that's that's a great way to to start a friendship with anybody i think but it's it sort of felt like there was so much pleasure in exploring that connection but it also made the the translation process pretty smooth i think at least from my perspective oh for mine too and when when I I remember when I heard it like at the playwrights workshop that we did, but when I heard it yesterday too, like it punches in the same place as then in French. Like really, I think it's a very very great you know translation of the mood of the what I wanted to convey is definitely conveyed. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm super happy. But yeah. like even even just on a technical level, like we both we both mm. write in the same weird little poetic line with like weird little pauses in it. Like there wasn't yeah. any reading this dialogue. I was like, oh, I are this weird formatting thing that I do anyway. She's also doing, so I don't even really need to change too much about my playwriting approach because it just it just clicked. Well, yeah. that was going to be one of my questions. It's fascinating to me because knowing the text and for for the people who are listening who haven't seen the show yet or read the play. I think in the best way possible, one of the best words to use to describe at least the play at first glance is like, it's weird. Like the story, the, yeah. the language is weird sometimes, yeah, and, but it, it's in a very good way. It looks oh, kind of yeah. weird on the page right? yeah. compared yeah. to lots of other plays. Yeah. So sure. it would, it begs the question, like, how do you translate that? But it sounds like it was a pretty easy process for you. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I wish I had more to say about it because yeah. it was, it was just very, it felt very intuitive. But it's like, you know, as a playwright, I'm also often in a workshop where the first question an actor asks is, why did you write it this way? Why does it look this way on the page? And I sort of have to be like, well, I have I have my theories about that, but I don't really want to tell you them because that's kind of why I do it. So in a way, it's it's kind of being in rehearsal now. It's great fun for me to not really be the person responsible for answering those questions but to still be like ah but i would have done it exactly the same way and i love it because i don't feel responsible too because like you're there (laughs) so like the the responsibility is shared (laughs) that that was a high five for those of you who who might have missed it an asmr high five (laughs) (laughs) but now the responsibility lies on the director right yeah yeah krista it's on you Um, we talk, we talked a little bit about the humor in the play because I think it is funny, um, to put you on the spot. Hmm. Um, is there a a specific line or scene or scenario? I can think of a couple, but I'd like to hear it from you that, that stands out in terms of things that still make you laugh. Well, I laughed really hard just earlier this morning in rehearsal. There's a scene where a character ends the scene by saying, I'm happy. The character's name is Shannon. And she says, I'm happy. And then after that line, there's a stage direction that says, Shannon starts banging her head on the floor. (laughs) And that's the end of the scene. (laughs) 
<laughs> which I think that's like that's like a nice little summary of how this whole play feels. I think because it's like so sincere and so strange at the same time. How about you, Gabrielle? There's some l rhythm and some lines, and I think that in English it's even more funny. But there's a character named Margot, and she's always saying, "Come on, now you know, come on, blah, 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 come on, come on." And you're just, yeah, and it was very funny. I don't know like what it does rhythmically. It's and there's only that character who does that, and she has kind of the, this Oscar vibe, but with this language, it's kind of it's weird. It's mm -hmm. great. That that was a, a tricky little one in the translation too, because in French it's menon, 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 yeah. which like is sort of like you hear that so much in French, and there isn't there isn't a super good English equivalent to to that little sound word. I almost think of menon as like you hear it so much that it becomes like just a sound you hear a lot. Oosh, um, oosh. <laughs> coming up with come on was we tried a bunch of things before we landed on that, but I think it works pretty well. It does. And Bibu's also very funny. And I'm not going to say more than that. Yeah, get ready for Bibu. Can you give us a little bit of, of Bibu, like who that character is, without giving too much away? Of course. So Bibu was born in the retreat. So Bibu doesn't know about the world. And the, in the retreat, there's a few rules. There's a lot of rules also in the retreat, you know. And so you don't, you're, you're not, you, you can't talk about the world, like it's forbidden. So Bibu doesn't know about the world. So he's very... He's pure. He's very pure. He's very innocent. But there's more to him than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, what, what are some of the rules of the retreat? Okay, you can't, uh, you're, you're obligated to masturbate sometimes because it's healthy. Mm. Sometimes? Yeah, well, just, you know, once in a while, there's a ring. In the reading yesterday, I totally forgot that that happened in the play. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's true. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> that's a very surprising thing the first time it happens. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. The masturbation realm? So, so, yeah. So, yeah, the so there are... sexual, what's the... Uh, the, the libido regulation bell, Yeah, we call it. We should talk about these bells, I guess. Cause so in the, yeah. ret the retreat is like governed by strange, mysterious forces that seem like they must be obeyed. Um, and, and one of those things is at different times for different reasons, there are bells that ring. And when the bell rings, all of the people in the retreat have to do something for their own good. Um, so one of them is the libido regulation bell where everybody has to masturbate to orgasm without ever touching each other. That's another rule. No touching each other ever. There's an emotional threshold bell where if a character gets too emotional for any reason, a bell rings and they have to go to a place called the room, which is a room full of pillows. And you go in there and scream and scream and scream until you have let your emotion out. So it's always a thing in this play of characters either wanting or not wanting to get sent to the room when they hit their emotional threshold. So it's intense. There's like a lot of, it's not a normal life these characters are living. <laughs> you saying that right now. It just reminds me of Scientology in a way. Oh, we were yeah, talking yeah. about Scientology this morning in oh, rehearsal. Really? Totally, yeah. Yeah, and, and so what were you talking about? Well, just the way that from the outside, Scientology seems like it has such a system. It's all about personality tests and putting people in different personality categories and everything is measurable and people are fixable. Like there's a, it's a program for being 
more healthy, um, which is totally the world of this play. Like another thing, they, they're all assigned a personality based on like a, a personality type pamphlet, the, the kind of thing you would find at a management seminar or something. That's like their religion. I've been talking a lot about Scientology, but even just, yeah, things like corporate management culture and all the classifying and personality typing that, that happens in that world, too. Well, the reason why I brought up Scientology is because, and I, I'm no expert on it, but from what I understand is that there's the ultimate goal of, like, the clear, which is, like, breaking down any sort of external barriers to being clear. So, so any right. kind of social construct, anything, anything like being over emotional. So, breaking that down, so eventually you can come back to that center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so, I don't know if that resonates at all. No, it yeah, does. Yeah, sure. Because like their main goal, even if there is no real goal, is to be well, and like everything is intended there for them to be well, and to be well. Well, this pamphlet is telling us that if you endorse, endorse that kind of personality, and we all work together, we're gonna be well. But what is being well? And there's kind of this wellness dictator around us right now, I feel. And that was there. It was so like, why am I not feeling well? I'm taking, you know, happy vitamins. Yeah, I meditate every day. Why aren't yeah, I? Yeah, I'm eating omega 3. Yeah. Should feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is always like so deep, you know, and those things are just plasters. So in the retreat, it's kind of the same thing. There's a, always the word weird that comes around or like the word strange. And with a lot of ideas in this play, there's this uh, British playwright called Alistair McDowell. And I was reading an interview because I like his work. And it, people was like, oh, do you come up with such weird ideas? And he said, you know, when when I had an idea and I'm like, OK, well, there there's. You know, okay, they don't have like in X, you know, you discover that they don't have time, you know, that, that they're or whatever. I've, it's just the feeling of finding my keys. Like, oh, I remember where I put my key. Like, mm-hmm. it's a very normal feeling. It's not, and when I work, it's the same thing. I'm not like, oh, let me find the weirdest thing I could put in this play. Like, it's never that. Yeah. It's just, and when, you know, and I don't know if it's the same for you, David, but like, when the idea comes, it's just super normal in my head. Like, yeah, I think a big thing about that is that a lot of us, a lot of people who work in theater or watch theater on a regular basis are used to certain structures. Yeah. And anytime something kind of falls outside of that, just even for an instant, and sometimes regularly, like like the retreat, um, it just throws people off. And and when I said weird, I didn't mean weird in, in I know, of course, no, it's but like, I would say it great. like in French, my word, my my work is always called décalé. Hmm. I'm not sure about the English word for this. Yeah, and I'm always like, I don't know if it's, is it really? I, I, I don't know. It, it's, I feel it's, people are, it's very comfortable to, you know, to things yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah, to give labels to things and to, and like, I don't know if you get asked, do you write comedy or drama? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. we, we, we're going from far. Like, <laughs> I just draw a third box when I get asked that question and tick it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I totally feel exactly the same way about all of that. And I and I think that and I'm I'm obvious like it doesn't bother me either when people call my own work strange. I run a theater company no. called Strange Victory Performance. Like it's obviously very it's part of my brand at this point. But it but it isn't I don't think I've ever made 
quote unquote weird theater with that as my intention, I think. And I, and I think you would probably say the same thing, Gabriel, that these, these plays that are kind of superficially strange or different, to me, when they're working, they feel really honest mm-hmm. and, and they feel really true. And I think that's what's so exciting to me about this play is that it's superficially, it's so bizarre. Like it's such a surreal situation. The characters are doing very strange things, but I think it's deeply emotionally true. And I think it's getting at things about how it feels to be a person that you probably couldn't get at as accurately in a play that felt more quote unquote realistic. Like I think like in its way, I think this is a very realistic play. Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool too about this play is like, because there's not a lot of aesthetical directions in it. So like the collaborators, um, Nalo was presenting us ideas for like the set and the costumes and, it's so cool to see where people are going, like where the, the, the play is taking people um, creatively. Um, and it's presented in a pool, which was David's idea. Yeah, we should talk about this pool. Cause yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's, this pool is so important now. Like it feels like such a key part of the concept of the yeah. production. because So the, the venue we're in is called Bay Metzier, and it is, it's a swimming pool that isn't pretending not to be a swimming pool. Like it's it's a venue that is built out of the bones of an old swimming pool, but they kept the pool. So they have them. Is it shell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the ladders are still yeah. in there. It's the tile floor of the pool. So this, it just makes so much weird sense that the retreat is also a swimming pool, and I can't put my finger on why, but it, it, it's all working really well. It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was like always imagining it. There are like images in the script, and the first one is like the, um, the Windows, um, I don't know, Prairie. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Windows XP. It was yeah, like Windows, Windows XP, XP background, very, like the stock one. With the, you know, the beautiful <laughs> green land and um, the great sky. Yeah. And with clouds. So it suggests that kind of space. But me, I always, I've always imagined it like in my head. In an, in an underground parking garage. I was kind of imagining it there, you know. Krista asked us, like, do you have any special yeah. ideas where we could put it? And I said, oh, the underground parking lot. And then David was like, oh, I'm talking in a pool. Yeah, but this is, like, this is what's been so great about working with Krista, too, is she's yeah. like, like, now I'm getting all the credit for this swimming pool idea because I said it in a meeting. But it, it came from Krista just so openly saying, well, where let's just dream about where it might be. Like from the beginning, she was so open to the idea that maybe it's not in the theater. Maybe there's something better out there. And that's kind of been what it's like working with her on this production. She just mm-hmm. she's so she's so open and so curious and then really enthusiastic once she lands on an idea. And I think those are all really great qualities. Yeah. In a director. She sounds like a great collaborator. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's a question that I, I usually ask uh, to folks on this podcast, and I'd love to ask you before we, we wrap up. Um, when you're at the bar after opening and you're chatting with somebody you know, and over your shoulder you hear a couple of strangers talking about the show, what do you want them to be saying? Whoa. Whoa. Maybe that. That was just my response, but also maybe that. Um <laughs> You know, with, with this show, 
I, I think if I heard somebody say to their friend, wow, that was so real. Mm. With this script, I would think, yeah, okay, we did justice to, to what I think is going on with this play. That's such a great answer. How about you, Gabriel? I'm going to go jogging. Yeah. Because <laughs> every time I see a show that, you know, activates something in me, I want to run. Like there's kind of this energy boost. I don't know if you feel that way sometimes. Yeah. But I want to go like, and I, and I, I want to go run. And I'm not a runner. I think you should, uh, at the bar, after people have been there for a while, just invite folks to go jogging. Sure, yeah. Got to give them water bottles. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a real treat. Uh, It's been really nice to be in a room with you, to get to talk about this wonderful play. And I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, as soon as it goes up. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. This was super fun. This was very fun. Thank you for joining us for Inside Imago. And thank you to Gabrielle Chapdelaine and David Gagnon-Walker for spending this time with us. I've been your host, Jimmy Plan. Visit imagotheater.ca for more information about the retreat and to purchase your tickets. The music that you've been listening to is from the Royal Pickles, and you can catch them live at the retreat. This episode was recorded at Elan's Community Digital Arts Hub with audio engineer Tyler Rauman. It was produced and edited by Dana Ray Avashik. Talk with you soon.